This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today I'm talking with Sienna Dexter. Sienna is the Director of Brand Strategy and Associate Partner at Smash Brand, where she helps consumer packaged goods brands win on shelf through qualified consumer metrics. Sienna's main interest is in behavioural economics and quantifiable ways to predict human behaviour, which happens to be exactly what Smash Brand does best. So this was a really interesting conversation I had with Sienna. We spoke a lot about packaging, branding, um, how to get the customer's eye. We also spoke a lot about research, about knowing the market, knowing where you fit in. Um, all of these things that of course you've heard me mention before but Sienna really is an expert so I hope you find this conversation really interesting and I'd love to introduce you to Sienna. So hi Sienna thank you so much for being here. Hi Vicky lovely to be here I'm really pleased to um yeah to join this podcast and be uh part of the show. Thank you well let's start with you giving an introduction to yourself your business and what you do please. Sure, absolutely. So I'm Sienna. I'm Director of Strategy at an agency called Smash Brand. What we do is brand and packaging design. And what we do different is we test the packaging. So we introduce consumer testing to ensure that when packaging goes on the shelf, we know it's going to perform before it even hits the shelves. Um, So that's what we do uniquely through quantitative testing, um, as well as all the packaging design strategy and everything else that you'd expect from a brand and packaging agency oh it's amazing thank you and I'm just going to jump right in and say how do you test um the brands and the packaging how does that process work that 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 is the one thing I always get asked on podcasts um it's the most interesting thing isn't it because that's that's I suppose what we do differently um I'm gonna say that that's um that's a question that has a multifaceted answer So we do do quantitative tests um, through not so much. So when you get kind of A-B split testing, say you're testing a website and you're doing A-B split testing. Does this tagline work better than that tagline? Does this design work better? Where are we losing clicks? Where are we getting people following our funnel towards, um, you know, the buy now, the basket? Um, It's not like that. Reason being it is harder to test um, how a consumer is going to behave in a retail environment simply by doing a very simple A-B split test. 
So what we do is a lot more comprehensive than that. We start our journey of understanding consumers right at the very beginning, sometimes doing primary consumer testing. So primary research into drivers to purchase, how consumers. So let's say, for example, um, a brand we recently worked on. Well, I can't name the brand because it hasn't launched yet, but a product we recently worked on was mayonnaise, um, a very old um, brand of mayonnaise that's been around since the 20s. Really amazing established audience, loyal customers. They wanted to elevate the brand from um, from perhaps a more budget um, kind of look or more budget um, positioning in the market to be more quality, um, to be of higher quality and more of a luxury brand and more um, kind of more elevated from the positioning they were in. So we had to really understand kind of at the start of it how people are how people are consuming mayonnaise, why people are consuming mayonnaise, what is at the heart of mayonnaise, um, and really kind of looking past the product and understanding um, what is the story that we need to tell, Um, looking at other brands and saying, what's the story they're telling? Um, What is the consumer journey? Um, What are their tensions? Um, For us, we found all mayonnaise is kind of the same. Um, So you just default to... Hellman's um we we get to that by our primary testing but also through just understanding how consumers are thinking this could be kind of asking every uber driver that you know we meet what their favorite brand of mayonnaise is asking our friends and family asking literally anyone that we can and then obviously through a more scientific approach as well of um testing this um quantitatively um through data um, not specifically for mayonnaise, but for other brands we work on as well. Then through that, we build out the story that we want to test for um, in our consumer testing. So once we have the concept, we understand the overall story that we're testing for. What are those parameters? Are we testing for taste? Is that important? Are we testing for um, standing out in the category versus fitting in? Are we testing for this gives me a sense of status? Um, What is that overall story we want to tell for consumers? And then through um, through that lens, understanding how well the product is going to perform quantitatively. Um, so that was my um, long-winded answer to your question. Well, thank you. That's really, that is really interesting. And I'm guessing as well, though, with the example of the mayonnaise, a rebrand is something even, is something different as well to launching a new product because yeah. presumably consumers already have a view of that brand and who they are and yeah. who they're for. And if you're trying to change that, I guess that adds another dynamic to it. It's a lot harder, of course, Um because they already have a loyal base of customers. They are already perceived as, let's say, quality, um, a quality product. And really, in the case of this brand, it does taste great. Um, it does. It's winning on taste tests um, compared to other products. Um, but just from its perceived look, it's seen as a budget product. So for those that know and love it, they're seeing past the packaging. They've got heritage. They've got this was in grandma's table, what I grew up with. It's synonymous with mayonnaise. Um, this is how they how, how they enjoy the product. Um, whereas for new for new customers walking past it on the shelf, they need to be told that story. Um, so it's bridging the gap between not not losing all of that brand equity and also 
transmitting that story in a new way, visually and through words, understanding the benefits, the why should we buy this, unpack in three seconds, um, because that's the time it takes to secure the customer and draw, draw them in to look a little bit closer, get tempt them to pick it up off the shelf or have them look past you to the next brand along. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm just thinking now that you're right. When you sort of go to a, any aisle in a supermarket and there's all this choice, you know, you, you, you're, you're either looking for something particular because it's your favorite brand or it's just where your eye lands. Um, but yeah, that must be, there must be so much that goes on to thinking, okay, which is going to stand out on the shelf and which will grab consumers. Yeah. I think that's, I can't imagine everything that goes into that. Yeah, so much. It's, and it really, it really comes down to, it's the same way as kind of, um, if you're writing kind of website copy, I suppose. And that's, you know, just thinking back as back to my days as a copywriter when I was trying out all the different things I could do from social to websites to, you know, obviously packaging copy above the line, retail marketing copy that I um, did at previous agencies you know that you've got to make that land in a few seconds. You've got, even if you think in terms of above the line, you have an advert and you have a tagline and that's got it in immediately in a couple of seconds where you've got someone's attention on the tube if they're going up and seeing it, you know, on an escalator or sorry, the subway for American listeners um, or on a billboard. It's going to instantly convey that feeling, that sense of I want to know more just through one line and an image that really hits home. So what we do is very much like that. We have a few more words to play with, but it has to convey the benefit, the what it is, the what it does, the why you should buy me, and an overall brand look and feel as well, um, and a sense of what you're getting inside. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It sounds it. <laughs> yeah. And let's, talk, let's talk a bit about customers, um, if that's okay. So can consumer behavior be predicted do you now you know after years of working in this area can you predict how consumers will react well yes because we test it so um, so it's a little bit easier for us we can we can predict it through understanding how trends are evolving for example um we know that it is important it is important for people that brands are transparent sustainable healthy we also know that at the same time we are perhaps lacking that enjoyment of sometimes just letting ourselves go a little bit right like just giving yourself a treat just having that piece of cake having that thing that's a bit naughty or you know drinking that you know drinking that beer drinking that cider forget the low alcohol we know that these are trends that are alongside each other but I'm understanding how they're actually going to perform on pack again we we rely on that data to drive um, our understanding of it. And still, even then, it may take a couple of different rounds of testing, different ways of asking different questions, different groups of consumers to give us the best steer towards predicting consumer behavior. Thank you. So our podcast is for small businesses. Many of them are just starting out. So I would love your take on what are some things that small independent brands can do to stand out in the marketplace based on all this knowledge that you have? I would say the first thing that your listeners want to think about if they're a small business starting out 
is it's not always about standing out. I know, um, quite controversial, isn't it? Everyone wants to be disruptive, stand out, be different. You need to think, do you want to stand out or do you want to fit in? Because that's also a strategy. Sometimes, um, if you think perhaps in the toothpaste category, you kind of just want to fit in. You kind of want to just slot in there quite nicely. Um, with a lot of brands that are, say, challenger brands, um, brands that are doing things that are trending new and different, fitting into new trends like adaptogens, like vitamin water, CBD, all of those um, wonderful products that are coming to market. I think perhaps if I reframe that question, instead of how do they stand out in the market, I would say a better thing to think about perhaps would be how do they better connect with the audiences that they want to win over existing brands in the market? And there's a simple answer to that. And that's understanding what makes them what makes them stay up at night and get out of bed in the morning. What what makes them tick? What bugs them? What's their tension? If we're thinking about things like like a CBD drink, you know, why would you choose that? If we're thinking coffee, why why do you have your cup of coffee beyond you just need to pick me up? What does it really give you? If we're thinking of coffee, and we've worked with an um, a coffee alternative brand that was doing um, adaptogen, the formula was adaptogen mushrooms um, like um, reishi, chaga, that gives you energy that does the same thing coffee does, tastes like mushrooms, um, but gives you that feeling. And what we understood was that beyond just a pick me up and a focus moment coffee also delivers that treat that moment of time for me that break between tasks so what we found was instead of fitting into the burning the midnight oil staying up all night working harder 80s culture what we wanted was to say this was your this is your time for you to invest in you to um, take that moment that break away and refuel re-nourish and then approach your work more focused. So again, if they want, if your if your listeners want to think about how they can really be digging beyond the product and understanding what really what what does it mean to their customers? What is their what does their product add to people's lives? I think that's hugely valuable, and that's something that you can do yourself. Thank you for that. A massive takeaway I'm getting from as we're talking is that knowing your customer and knowing them well is just vital. Mm-hmm. So whether you want to stand out or fit in, but I think just generally, if you want people to buy your products sort of knowing yeah. who it's for and what they're looking for and why they're looking for a product like yours and what their concerns are. I think, yeah, that sounds to me like the basis of all of this. Absolutely. I think, gosh, it's it's a difficult one to say, but I would say that the advice that I would always give is you need to make people care about your story because imagine if it's kind of a person that you've just met imagine if your brand is a person that you've just met you've met them out you don't know them from anyone else and all they do is start telling you about themselves 
they're just talking at you this is my heritage this is where you know this is me this is my grandma this is let me tell you all about me you'd be like okay <laughs> maybe um maybe I'll go talk to someone else for a minute but if they make that conversation engaging if they make it a dialogue if they show you that they're speaking to you because they get you you have that connection so in that sense that's what brands need to be doing they need to be thinking about this as a conversation not as um a monologue thank you and along those lines and I haven't actually prepared this question so I'm sorry for throwing this at you but as you were talking I was thinking so when we talk about making connections how important is it or is it important particularly if you have a small business and maybe it's just you or or just you know just a handful of people how important is it that there's a face to the brand and a person behind the brand is that important um and if so how important because I'm just thinking in terms of making connections not necessarily it isn't necessarily important. And, and, and actually, this is an interesting one, because I ate my words recently when I gave advice to a friend who I, I know through kind of a London, a long, well, it's not, it's actually a, a, a UK um, Facebook group called The Food Hub. Um, and I gave, I gave someone advice of not to use her last name as her brand. So not to kind of, not to basically say, oh, it's, you know, whatever her last name was to use that as her brand name um, and use her face. Actually, she's gone on to do some amazing things. Um, So I think when it comes to a very, very strong personality as this person had and a real drive and a passion and that real kind of captivating, almost celebrity like personality that's so addictive um, that people just want, they follow her. Like she leads kind of groups in our area as well. Um, people she's the kind of person people will just follow um, and want to be around in that aura Um, I think in that instance I think that it's beneficial to use you know whatever whatever your brand is whatever your personal brand is but this is a founder-led brand if we're thinking not all brands are founder-led brands some brands perhaps don't have that charismatic founder, perhaps they're more behind the scenes, perhaps they don't want to be that. It could be a group of uh, a partnership of founders. It could be that you have um, ambition to grow and eventually have a board of directors and exit. Um, Or if you're a serial entrepreneur and you want to launch this brand, get it to a certain place, exit, launch another brand, then really having it connected to you personally may not be the best idea. So, it really depends on the brand, on the person and what your ambitions are. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. I just wonder because you do get so much advice out there, particularly for founder-led brands, small businesses, you know, perhaps it's one person. You do hear a lot, you know, put your face out there. You need to, you know, you need to be out there. You need to be the face of your brand. But not everyone feels comfortable with that in any way. And so I was just really curious on your take of whether that was essential because particularly if like it's not you do you know what I mean for some people that's just not them to put themselves front and center of their own brand 100 percent. and are we then just going to get a bunch of brands that all just have first name and either kitchen pantry um (laughs) whatever else uh (laughs) yeah if, if you go into kind of any and a lot of new brands are aiming to get into stores like Whole Foods, Planet Organic, the independent stores um a lot of the new brands coming out, independent brands, that's their ambition. And if you look at everything on the shelf at the moment, 
I would say a high percentage of it is name and then either kitchen or pantry after it. Um, and, and it feels like it's a little bit, it doesn't really give a sense of the personality of the brand. I don't think that it benefits the brand unless you know who who this person is, unless they've made a name for themselves um, on TV, in the media, they're very active, they're being featured in magazines, they're very comfortable in that celebrity status. Um, it, it perhaps isn't going to be beneficial or build the brand or help connect with customers because it's all just about them. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. So let's talk about a little bit about making a brand a bestseller. What does that take? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> so I think these are all quite big questions. <laughs> Apologies for that, Sienna. It's a big question. What does it take to make a brand a bestseller? Um, I would start by saying, have, have a damn, sorry, can I, can I swear? Yeah. Have a really good, have a really good product. It doesn't matter how good your brand is. Your brand could be absolutely excellent. Your branding spot on, your marketing spot on. You could be, have a million followers on social media and be engaging people. If I open that product and it is not good, I'm not coming back. So, um, I think, first of all, having a great product and being passionate about what you're doing, I think connecting with what the cultural narrative is and understanding where the trends lie. I would say, as well as investing in a a, a brand that connects with people or creating a brand that connects with people, I would say making sure as well that you kind of have all your ducks in a row for when you're launching. So if you've invested a lot in packaging design, you also need to make sure that you have a solid social strategy. Again, that's not something that we do as Smash Brands, so I can't 100% speak to that. But we do see brands that perhaps launch and don't. Um, and it, the packaging strategy or branding strategy hasn't translated to social or hasn't translated to their website and then it doesn't give that customers that confidence in the brand because it's saying one thing on one platform and another thing on another. And it's kind of hard to get a sense of it. Um, you lose a little bit of trust with that. Um, and as soon as you've lost a bit of trust, if you're inconsistent, even like as a person, you know, people go, oh, well, they were this this way one day and they're a different way another day. And you, you kind of start losing losing trust in them. So I would say, what does it take to make a brand a bestseller? A blood, sweat and tears, <laughs> a great branding strategy, blood, sweat and tears, a great product. I would also say just just keep going. You just keep going with it. Um, listen to the experts, get as much advice as you can, but also know when to ignore it. Um, know what works for you and understand what works for you and your audience and be sure in that. Um, is what I would say. I, I I hope that that's a good enough answer um, because there are so many different variables to it. That is a good answer. Thank you. And one of the things I liked that you said was to keep going because I think sometimes people can be disheartened if things aren't an overnight success, don't take off on day one, because I've spoken about this on the podcast recently, that sometimes it appears that someone's come out of nowhere, like a product suddenly selling really well. And, you know, when you dig into it, actually, they've been around for three years, five years, whatever, and they've just suddenly taken off or suddenly reached a level where more people know about them. Um, 
And I just think that's really important to just acknowledge that it doesn't necessarily happen day one, does it? It is a full-time job for for founders, for kitchen table brands or ones just starting off. It is a full-time job and more. It's it's constant. You think about it all day from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. It's and that passion, that passion translates. Um I I think making sure that you're also getting in getting into retailers as well, getting in front of customers. Uh, as hard as it is to get buyers interested, making sure that you're doing that. And then when you are in a position to scale up and in a position to really take it to the next level, I would say it is crucial to recruit um, a team of experts once you're in a position to do so, to help you scale up to that level and help you to penetrate the market with more insight and in a more strategic approach. It's interesting. Thank you. And when you talk about recruiting a team, what are the kind of roles, what are the vital things that you think once someone reaches a level where they're like, okay, I want to upscale, or I want to take a step forward. What are the kind of things that you think you should be looking to get expert advice on initially? I think, I think initially it's absolutely crucial that you have a solid brand strategy in place. It can be something you can do yourself. But I always think that whilst um, I've seen some fantastic brands that, you know, are, you know, just managed and marketed by the founders and they've done a great job. Usually I see those founders have come from a branding background or they've left a branding agency to found the brand or they've got marketing background. And the difference is when when you work in the industry your job is to know the trends day in, day out. You're launching brands day after day after day. And you've been doing that for, you know, a decade. Your expertise will just be different. You will just be able to give better recommendations over what is a strong strategy, um, how that's going to land. You understand trends. You understand people. You also understand buyers and understand what they're looking for. So I would say that you would want an agency with, um, a strong strategy aim, um, arm even. You would want an agency that is able to justify why the designs work in a way that can be backed up by data, um, by social science, by understanding consumers or trends and be able to explain specifically why this would work for your audience an agency that will work with you collaboratively as well to understand your vision and help it translate and scale up. So it would need to be, it would need to be a team that is very commercially aware. Um, This doesn't mean that you can't work with kind of smaller agencies or, you know, independent designers. But when that happens, I would say that you very much will be guiding the process yourself. So it depends on how comfortable you feel doing that. And if you feel that you can play the role of creative director, um, perhaps guide the strategy and pull everyone together, then that's something that could be an option. If you want to leave it up to a team that, you know, already work well together, that already have a proven track record. Nice. I would say that's what you need to look for. Thank you. That's a great answer. Thank you. And you mentioned then buyers and knowing what buyers want. Um, Obviously, you've got lots of experience here um are there any things from your experience that you know that buyers are looking for or things that brands should at least be considering if they're thinking of approaching buyers yes i think if you can show any kind of statistics for how your product performs with customers i think that you've got a solid 
a solid chance. I think saying to buyers or proving to buyers or showing to buyers via your pitch that these are the trends we're aware of. We're aware of why our product stands out. Here is everything else on the shelf. This is why you should consider our brand, our product, what we do, why we do it differently and why you're going to see more sales. Here's some data to back it up. Here's how we've, you know, here's here's on a a small local store here. Here's how we performed compared to um, the product next to us. It might make them sit up and listen and say, okay, let's give it a chance. Um, It does help if you, it does help if you've got an in with the buyers, if you've met them at an industry event, if you're able to do a little bit of networking, um, get to know them. Obviously, do not harass them. They do see the emails. So, um, it, so, so don't send them multiple annoying emails. Just um, be polite, be persistent, and they respond to results um, over flattery or fluff. Thank you. So it sounds like knowing the market, knowing the competition, having data to back it up is super important. Um, I had a guest on recently who was talking about getting her products stocked in supermarkets. And she was mentioning that when she was speaking to buyers, she actually had to say, I think you should take this product off the shelf and put mine on because she was explaining that they can't just keep adding products, that her products be included, something else had to leave. Is that the case across all industries or is that just specific to the food industry? Do you whether you should be kicking someone out to get your product on um i would say that's not necessarily something that a uh that a founder needs to say if they're not confident it's it's a bold move isn't it oh no what i mean is um, she was mentioning oh she was mentioning that for supermarkets which was what she was approaching she was mentioning that for supermarkets you 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 literally had to say who you felt you could take the place of in order to get stocked on the shelves which i hadn't heard of so is that it sounds like from what you're saying that isn't the case necessarily for every industry because to me i was quite surprised i thought wow that sounds really cutthroat having to say kick these guys out and put me in I thought wow that sounds quite harsh so it sounds like that's not the case with every buyer of every industry that I've that isn't something that I've heard from any of the clients we've worked with um in terms of how they get their product stocked usually it's a relationship with a buyer an existing relationship or if they're a new brand it's having a connection with a buyer and this is both for UK um UK brands and US brands We've never encountered or I have never encountered or heard of um, a situation where you have to literally say we're better than this specific brand. I think showing that you're offering something that is better than their um, the supermarket own brands um, and also brands that are stocked in the market, that it's something consumers are going to be coming in and looking for, um, that they're going to be primed and ready through your marketing efforts. They know who you are. You've perhaps got a loyal base of um, customers already if you're direct to consumer you can show sales you can show how many people are already buying and loving your product and they'll be primed and ready to run into the store and buy it that you, that demonstrates that they're, they're going to fly off the shelves instead of um having dead stock um but that's i mean that's interesting to me it's news to me i i haven't heard of it being that cutthroat but if if that's what this person had to do then um that's good on her did she manage it yes yeah, she did she got, did. You can't say who got kicked. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I don't know. I don't need to know. But um, yeah, I found that okay. So I think that might be actually though. That might be really reassuring for people to know that you don't have to necessarily do do that. But uh, yeah, I found that really interesting and surprising as well. But I guess that um, yeah, maybe there are 
some places where that, you know, that is what you have to do. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Pardon? I was just going to say, I think you've just got to be true to yourself and your brand. If, um, if an approach like that isn't in line with your brand values, then I think it would seem, yeah, just incongruent with, with what you're doing, with what your mission is and what your values are. So I think just being true to that um, and just approaching every point of communication um, as you representing your brand values. That's really useful advice. Thank you. Because I agree, like for me, that isn't something I could, I would ever feel comfortable doing. And I think people can probably tell when you're not being authentic and you're not being yourself. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably quite obvious. So yeah, I think that's good advice to approach things in a way that feels natural and comfortable and sort of represents you and your brand. So let's talk a little bit more. We have touched on your brand messaging, Um, but let's talk a little bit more about that. What what else do we need to think about when we're thinking about the messaging around our brands, whether that's all the packaging or the advertising or websites? Um, what do we need to consider? And again, I know this is another really big question, Sienna. It's actually a really simple one. Um, actually, this is a nice, easy one. Um, hard to execute, easy to explain. I can talk to what you need to think about in terms of your brand um, voice and tone um, and packaging. If you think about websites or advertising, that's not something that we do. We don't do activation at Smash Brand. Um, however, I, you know, I, I, I have worked in these industries before. But if I just speak to kind of the first two, I think what do you need? What do you need to have as your brand? As your brand messaging was the question. Um, let me speak to um, the um, on-pack messaging first of all. So we call them pack words at smash brand um it's something that we can measure something we can quantify things like if you are say hard salsa brand do you want to call yourself a hard salsa or do you want to call yourself a spiked soda what do you want to say that you are if you're mayonnaise are you real mayonnaise are you classic mayonnaise what are you saying uh, about the descriptor about what your product is so you obviously have the brand name then you say what you are you need to decide on what that is And that can be based on um, ideally a survey of consumers to understand which they respond to best. Then you need to decide on maybe a SKU name, for example, if it's um, a lovely tonic to help you sleep better. Maybe it's, I don't know, called Goodnight or something else or like uh, something else is descriptive that brings through your brand voice. That's a creative line. I'll touch on that in a minute. Then it's also important to understand why you should buy it. So it should have those clear benefits. What does this do? Why is this special? Why listen to this and not the next CBD brand or adaptogen brand that's on the shelf? You also want to be including in there and understanding what call outs your customers are responding to. So that could be vegan, gluten-free, anything like that, sustainable, uh, recyclable packaging, all of those extra bits and how they also fit in within your overall design. Now, I just want to talk about the creative lines. Like, for example, how do you know what you should name either your brand or your SKU? Um, Sorry, it's SKU stock keeping unit. Um, So product in the range for those that aren't aware. So how do you know what name you should give to each product? How do you know how creative it should be? How should it sound? What should the tone be? That's something that we would usually work on with a client through uh, a brand tone and voice workshop. So we start off by doing our overall brand workshop to really identify how the product 
should communicate who the audience are, identifying what they need, what they like, what, you know, what their gripes are and how we overcome them. If the product were a person, how would they behave? And then we dig in deeper to understand those elements of brand voice. So is it positive? Is it happy? Things like trustworthy is something that all brands say. Things like honest is something that all brands say and should be. Everyone should be honest, right? Trustworthy goes without saying. But is it playful or is it witty? Um, which ones are more important? Is it informative or is it cheeky? So understanding how to dial up those elements and how to communicate in each on each touch point, say, if you're sending out an email to say your product um, will be late, should it communicate in a different way? Maybe it's not going to be witty or punny. Maybe it's going to be more caring and understanding so understanding your overall brand voice will help you to know how to communicate on your website on your social on your packaging in your emails and any other place that you are connecting verbally with customers thank you there is a lot to consider (laughs) um and coming back to the packaging and this might be a really daft question but I'm going to ask it anyway um how much you know do you need to have on your packaging because I can see that having you know people might be listening and suddenly be tempted to put everything on their packaging you know this is vegan and organic and or whatever the the words are and this is what it does and I don't know whether you've seen that where people want to just throw everything onto their packaging um what what are your thoughts on that um I would say that you want to keep it minimal Um, the more um, I would say that think about the packaging as a story that you're telling or an infographic perhaps maybe that's an easy way to understand it your eyes are drawn to certain elements you land on one element first and then your eyes are drawn to another one at each point that in, in that journey you could lose the customer very easily so if you're asking them to consider all of these things in equal measure it's confusing and confuse, confusion leads to um, point of sale um, loss and immediately losing the customer because they just can't be bothered. It's, it's too much to think about um, in the same way as websites. You don't want to you don't want to confuse. You don't want to make people think you just want to have, you know, guide them to that decision by understanding what's bugging them, what's on their mind, you know, really, you know, sell them in a nice way or connect with their need. Oh, you're not sleeping well at night. Well, this is going to help you. And it does this and this and this. And by the way, it's vegan. So understanding what's important to them, connecting that with the visual storytelling and just having a cohesive message that you look at and go in three seconds, what is this saying? And actually, that's a really great litmus test and something that we always do when we're defining brands. We always say, what is the three-second message? In three seconds, what is this doing? And this is something that your listeners can go and do in supermarkets. They can take a haul of products or empty out their pantry, line them up in front of themselves, and go, what is this saying? In three seconds, this is giving me nostalgic fun cereal this is giving me um 1970s style pasta this is giving me authentic artisan pasta sauce um as an example of things i've consumed recently um understanding that is going to help your listeners to make sure that it's telling the right story in three seconds 
in words and in design. That's really useful advice. Thank you. So I guess what you're saying is that your packaging has to reflect what your product is, what it does, you know, all of that. Yeah. Just con- condensed. Yes, absolutely. It needs to tell a story. It needs to tell a story. I know that sounds a bit vague, but really you should say, what is it? Look, who is it? What does it do? Why should I buy it? But not too many points of information. Condense them down. If you're doing call outs, I would say just do three. No more than three call outs ever. So choose the most important ones. You can sometimes put them on the back. Think, are they important on the front? Do they need to know it's vegan if it's, say, loose tea, um, loose green tea? Maybe they need to know it's vegan. Maybe they don't need to know. Perhaps this can go on the side of the back. But just make sure that front retail area is dedicated to what's going to immediately connect with your customers and make it clear, um, make it easy to understand, make it welcoming because... No one likes a cluttered house. <laughs> so no one's going to pick up a cluttered yeah. product. That makes sense. And I, I think it also makes sense coming back to what you said right at the beginning about knowing your audience and what they're looking for. Because mm-hmm. um, I've actually had the opposite recently where a client I was working with on their Amazon listings and they actually didn't mention, there was something about their product they actually didn't mention to me even with the brief of can you write the listing? And when I found out, I was like, you know, if I knew this, this should be like, this is, to, as far as I was concerned, was like quite a key yeah. thing and it was really buried. And um, as I said, I mean, it's only my gut that this was a key thing that was missing and perhaps, but they hadn't done, they haven't done any testing. So I don't know for sure, but my gut said, actually, this is something we need to be telling people about. It shouldn't be yeah. buried. So I think that's really important as well is to do that sort of that val- to know what people you know if they're looking for a product like yours what is it they're looking for um you know what are their values because you know but as you say some of us are looking for coffee because we want to pick me up and some of us are looking for you know it depends who you're aiming at doesn't it absolutely I saw a really cool coffee brand when I was in Utah recently I think it's just called wide awake or something it had like a picture of some like crazy owl on the front like a massive cartoon with enormous eyes and actually like I gravitated towards that I was like oh this is different this isn't your ordinary like nurse cafe um this is this is for fun creatives that want to stay up all night and write crazy copy um and do crazy branding and I was like that's me um because that immediately connected with with what I was looking for in a coffee at that particular time something fun that's going to make me stay up and uh give me fun ideas so it's understanding your niche understanding your people and what they actually want not being afraid to to stand out if you want to um but also understanding if you need to fit in then then that's okay too yeah that may, I, like that makes sense and like you said I think it depends who you appeal to because sometimes you want to fit in but actually sometimes you might be just targeting like like in your example you're targeting one type of coffee coffee drinker so the coffee drinker who like they want to be creative and stay up whereas there are other types of coffee drinkers who just want to sit down for five minutes and take the weight exactly. off their feet or whatever so I guess it's knowing it's not um it's not a cup of joe for the average joe is it (laughs) um it needs to be that's a good line I remember that um it it needs to be um you need to have understood who your who your customer is and if you're going to make a brave choice make the brave choice um finding a niche is always a good idea it's always a good idea but 
sometimes you want to also just appeal to a wider range of consumers perhaps you're not ready to make that jump and in that instant understand understand what it is that they're looking for you know with Nescafe for example as a brand it's very much about it, it's not just about it's not a stay awake brand it's it's that comfort of coffee everything about the brand is kind of nourishing and comforting you think frothy coffees that kind of taste delicious and you can kind of settle in with them and curl up with them and that's the sense that the brand gives you rather than a cartoon owl with enormous eyes so you, you can understand the difference in the intent between that yeah that makes sense and I guess the word you just said then intent I guess I guess the main takeaway from here is just to be intentional whether you're appealing to a wider market or whether you're actually going for specific needs I guess niche is just being intentional about who you're targeting exactly exactly and um yeah being being brave being brave if you want to I suppose well thank you Sienna and thank you for everything you've shared I've got one final question for you before we finish um and it's so it's quite a big question, but hopefully you can you can think of an answer for this one, which is what would your number one piece of advice be for small small product business owners in particular, because that's who we're talking to. So small founder-led businesses, um, what's the one thing you'd like them to say? I mean, obviously there's been so much they can take away from this episode. What's the key message? The key thing that I would say, and the thing that I see small businesses, um, founder-led kitchen table brands, not doing more often than not is flipping their story to be about the consumer um flipping the story to make the the hero of the story um the real hero of the brand the consumer so the hero isn't the founder it's not the recipe that's been passed on for generations it's not the packaging it's not their mission it's not their values that's not the hero the hero is the person picking up your product on the shelf what did they want what you know what's the big challenge in their life what's the big crossroads how is your product going to be the one that steps in and makes their life different that elevates their experience that day um, that gives them that special moment understanding that and underpinning that to everything you do is the one thing that I would say would really put you head and shoulders above what anyone else is is really doing at the moment especially at an early brand level oh that's great I like that thank you (laughs) that's really good Oh, please do you like. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it, it's as simple as just connecting with the consumers and as difficult as just connecting with the consumers, because especially if you're if you're launching a brand, it's all about it's all about your passion. You want to get out. You know, you want to get out of your commute, your nine to five job. You're an ambitious entrepreneur and you want to tell everyone about your journey and why you started the brand and why your product is great. And it's so difficult to move away from that and go okay it's not about me anymore it's it's about what I'm doing what product I'm delivering what experience I'm delivering to the people picking it up and spending their money on it Um, and the same goes for buyers as well Um, making it about them what you bring to their role why choosing your product is going to give them the promotion (laughs) Um, why they'll be glad they didn't miss out on this opportunity that's brilliant thank you and again thank you for everything you shared today Sienna fantastic no problem 
Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.